Welcome back, everybody. It's the Betting Pros College Football Preview Show. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I have two awesome CFB experts to join me on the show. Uh, last year, it was just me and Thor at ThorKU on the Twitter. Thor, looking skinny, my friend. Smell, <laughs> lost some weight this offseason. Looking yeah. good, my man. How have you been? Uh, doing good. Anything to prepare for the college football season. So we were in the meat lockers, punching the, the meat slabs and everything <laughs> like that, running up mountains and whatnot. But uh, had a good week one. We went three and one against the spread. I, I have forgiven Gavin Hardison and Dana Dimmel out there to anyone that's wondering. And I'm excited <laughs> to handicap this week one slate as well. It's going to be a fun one. Joining us this year, Mike Farrell at M Farrell Sports on the Twitter machine, two R's, two L's. Mike, happy to have you. Ready for the college football season. I'm sure you are locked in and ready to go, my friend, right? I am ready. Uh, I didn't do as well as um, didn't do as well as Thor did last week, but I'm ready to, to bounce back a little bit. I mean, the Notre Dame thing started off great, and we get the first touchdown score. We, we nailed the spread, and that got a little wonky after that with UMass actually winning a football game. So. <laughs> they did. They won a game. It stunned everyone. And a lot of people are putting money on UMass this week, which is insane. But that's another show for, for another time. I wanted to ask both of you, Mike, I'll start with you on this one. Uh, the two things coming into the season that I think a lot of people, uh, well, I, I guess just one big adjustment that needs to be made overall is the clock, right? Uh, it, it's it's no longer stopping when you get a first down unless it's within the last two minutes of each half. So the clock keeps running, which affects totals, of course. And my other question is for early in the season in week one, are you more likely to bet totals than spreads because of the unknown? Uh, or is it just, hey, I like a number. I bet the number. I don't care what week it is. I'm more of a number guy. I'll take the side if I feel strongly about it. The over under is tough. I mean, with the clock changes, but you look at some of these games. Um, you know, I mean, 56-28 USC versus San Jose State. Uh, the Notre Dame game, I believe, came in on the under, but it was very close or right at that number. So it's tough. I would mash the under if you're really torn and you want to bet that because I think they still have to adjust for the time differences. We don't know what it's going to do to the points, uh, and neither do the, the experts in Vegas. So, you know, if you're leaning early in the season, go under, but I, I'm more of a I'll take a side. I don't care. Uh, yeah. I really know what to expect because that's the fun of gambling. I mean, I, I'm not going to you know, stay away from a side if I feel strongly about it just because I think a team you know, might not be ready. I, San Diego State, Ohio, we had Rourke. I was on Ohio. He gets hurt early. Sure. I took the side. It's, it's gambling. It's the way it goes. Yeah. Um, but I'm not shy away from the side on that. Gotcha. Thor, same, same question for you. Week one, do you make any differences or are you betting totals more uh, than you're betting spreads? And also the, the clock adjustments, how, how has that affected you and your system? I'm more of a spread better myself. I, I do have total bets, but I, you know, I, I've always just been more natural handicapping the the sides of it. So the, I, I would say that's what I predominantly do. Week one, though, you know, one, one of my four picks was an over under. Uh, that was that Notre Dame Navy game. Um, you know, I'm lucky enough to hit the under my system had that one pegged right at 45, right where, <laughs> where it ended. So I, I got a kick out of that. And with regards to the modulation for your total systems out there, it is 5%. That's what all the sharps yeah. did. That's what I did in mine. Had a lot of conversations about this over the off season. You know, how much are we going to toggle this thing sure. down, et cetera, et cetera. But 5% is, was sort of the universal consensus on that. And at least with the week or the week zero returns coming back, 
looks like that was about right. You can't just rotely bet the unders, but I, I think uh, week one, they went four and three against the spread, if I'm remembering right. So it's not like it's going to, you know, hit every single time. And the, the books have somewhat modulated for it, sure. but I do think there is some value out there. You know, for instance, the Notre Dame Navy game, I certainly thought there was value on the under. And um, there's going to be other games like that where you can project more clock running. Right, exactly. So uh, just a couple adjustments to make here early. That That's all. But uh, let's dive in here, fellas. Let's start with Thursday. And normally we're going to go over every national to every nationally televised game but because there's games this week on thursday friday saturday sunday and monday we cut it back a little bit we did 12 of the 19 um nationally televised ones so let's start out with number 14 utah versus florida the line here is florida by six and a half the over is 45 and a half uh against the spread 54 percent of the tickets are on utah but 63 percent of the money is on florida and over on both 81 percent money 63 percent tickets thor we'll start with you on that one uh who do you like in utah versus florida the rematch of last year's game that was so much fun I will tell you the second I know what cam rising status is for this game (laughs) this line this isn't the correct line all, all Vegas is doing here, and it's, you know, they're following in lockstep with the market, is they're basically cutting the middle. If we knew Cam Rising and Brand Keith were going to play, this line would be what it opened at, which interestingly is the exact line my system has on this game without baking in the injuries that, you know, sort of the baseline mm-hmm. started at Utah minus 9.5, right? When it was the most pessimistic the market was about whether Rising was going to play and maybe Keithy as well. That's when it had dropped all the way down to Florida minus four and a half. If we knew, though, uh, certainly that Rising wasn't going to play, it might even get closer to three. This one, though, you're putting it right there in the middle because we don't know yet. Sure. We, we only got pessimistic news about Cam Rising all summer. Late last week, that's when we first heard optimistic things. You know, like he was put first on the on the official depth chart by Utah, whatever. But that's no confirmation that he's going to play. You know, even as of our record time, we don't have any idea he's going to play. So that's all that's doing. The the market's splitting that in half. And I can't make a referendum on it because I don't know whether he's going to play or not. Yeah, Mike, probably probably not going to know, right? Because there's no No, benefit to them telling us. I got a referendum. Forget you, Thor. (laughs) First of all, Cam Rising quoted is feeling pretty damn good right now, which is, you know, that's Cam Rising speak for he's going to play. He's not cleared, I know. It, it, he's not determined as the starter, I know. Uh, but, you know, this is what he told the Salt Lake Tribune uh, as of Monday. I, I think he's going to play, but I am so high on this matchup for Utah in many different ways. I know their backup quarterback situation is is bleak. They have no experience back there. But this team, first of all, is pretty angry about losing last year. They felt that that game actually kind of ruined their season. Even though win lose, I mean lose early is good. Um, you know they're looking back and saying if we won that one, things could have been a little bit different for us. Even though we beat USC twice, uh, they match up very well against them defensively. You know you're not going to have Anthony Richardson doing his you know uh, Superman stuff out there and, and keeping you off balance. You're going to have Graham Mertz, who's you know a bit of a statue. Um, this matchup is very good for Utah. Uh, I think, honestly, to take it now, because if Cam Rising is cleared and announced that he's going to play Wednesday or Thursday, the line's going to pop up to nine. Um, so I would take the six and a half right now, and, and I think Utah's going to revenge their way to a uh, touchdown victory. 
Before we move to the next game here, I got to tell you guys to download the free betting pros app from iOS and Android. Use Sportsbook Sync to automatically track your bets across all major sportsbook in one spot. Easily track your bet performance by sport and bet type, including game picks, props, and parlays. And you can get personalized bet recommendations tailored to your interest. So download the free betting pros app for iOS or Android today and get in on the action and help keep track of all of your bets. Let's go over to the other Thursday game, the late one, Minnesota. I don't actually don't know if which one is later, but Minnesota minus seven versus Nebraska, 43 and a half. Uh, Matt Rule coming into Nebraska and dealing with some stuff this week as well. Uh, Mike, we'll start with you on this one. How do you feel between the Golden Gophers and the Huskers here? You know, seven is a tough line. Um, if I'm a, you know, Minnesota fan, I don't like that, even even if I'm a homer. Um, you know, you look at these teams, you know, it's going to be kind of an ugly game. I'm leaning more towards the under here, um, even, you know, especially with the clock situation that we talked about. Um, I think you're going to see two teams that are going to run the ball quite a bit. I think you're going to see Nebraska, you know, Jeff Sims is going to throw the ball, but he's going to be a runner as well. Um, you know, Minnesota likes to line up their big five nasty, huge offensive linemen on the ball, even with Mo Ibrahim gone. Uh, I think you're going to see an ugly, low-paced game, and I, I don't like the seven. I mean, you give me seven, they put a gun to my head, I'm taking Nebraska, because I think uh, Matt Rule makes that much of a difference as a coach, and I do think they have some roster talent. Uh, but give me the under on this one. I think you're going to see an ugly game. Uh, Thor, what are your thoughts on this one? I'm going to be in the building, so I'm, nice. I'm I'm definitely excited for that. Um, excited for the Thursday night, and excited to see the the Matt Rule debut at Nebraska. I don't see a ton of line value. Uh, I'll tell you that. Like I got Gophers minus seven point one, so so it's sure. right where the Vegas number is. Uh, I'm probably going to wet my beak though on the Gophers in 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 this game, and the reason why it's a fade of Matt Rule in year one, just like I did in the season totals. I think if you combine his year one at Temple with his year one at Baylor, I believe he had three wins total. Between unfair, unfair, unfair. <laughs> it's not. It's not unfair, Mike. That's the way he, he builds his programs. Yeah, it's a year zero reset. He wants to build, build, build. Oh. I saw Baylor. There was games he gave away that season because he wanted to play the younger guys as opposed to some of the older ones. You know, he's trying to build long term. It's, it's, you know, it's just the philosophy thing. But early on, that that's what I think. I don't think they're going to play up to expectation. Baylor was just such a cesspool that he walked into there, though. Yeah, I mean, uh, I like what he's – listen, Scott Frost was a colossal failure. There's some talent on this roster. Matt Rule is a very, very good coach. And it's not a bad idea to fade a first-year coach. I get that. But I don't – you know, taking over Baylor, I, I think that's why I like Matt Rule is what he walked into. I mean, there were – Everybody transferred out. He had no roster. He had to recruit kids. There didn't, you know, nobody wanted to go to that school. And he knew he was going to play the younger guys as bed. I don't know if he's going to do that in Nebraska, though. That was a desperate situation at Baylor. I think he's going to use the experience he has on the roster here. Now, again, I'm not touching the line. Seven's not a good line. I don't like it either way. Uh, I'm doing the under. Did you, you're not, you're passing on this one? I'm, I'm going to pass on the total, but I, I'd like Minnesota a little bit. Oh, okay. So yeah. Minnesota. In the seven, it'd be nice if that got the six and a half. Well, That's yeah. what we're hoping for. You gotta throw a little scratch yeah. on a game you're gonna be there for anyway. I yeah, mean, come well, he's on. a Minnesota guy too. Yeah, I know. He's from Minnesota. I mean, he's, yeah. he's, he's gonna, 
Kansas, Iowa, Minnesota, there's <laughs> weaknesses. I mean, it's just, you have to take into account the, the level of uh, Midwest homerism. Yeah. So I get it. I mean, like, I like, I like PJ Flack. I think it's a good program. They're, they, they won nine games last year. I mean, Will's taken over. It's just, it's, it's some, and again, I forget who it was. Will Compton or something said on Twitter today that they could go nine and three. And Nebraska fans are absolutely delusional. Get out of here. <laughs> they always are. They, 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 but they're the worst team fan base when it comes to delusion. And they screw everything up because there's no way there should be any expectation going maybe six and six, maybe seven and five, but more likely five and seven. And then you see, you know, a long thrown out nine and three and the floor is seven. And that ruins a good coach. So uh, Nebraska fans are absolutely unbelievably delusional. Uh, they have a good coach. It's going to take a little while. Minnesota's the better football team. They win this game, but I think they win it in slugfest by. Ho- ho- hopefully, they get uh, you know pick six or something. Uh, yeah, squeeze that line for you, Thor. Uh, let's get it. Let's go to Friday in Atlanta from the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Georgia Tech versus Louisville. Louisville is a seven and a half point favorite. Forty-eight and a half is the over here. A uh, lot of money towards the under and tickets on this one. Uh, Mike, we'll start with you on this game. Uh, who do you like between Georgia Tech and Louisville this weekend? Well, why on earth is this line seven and a half? Somebody knows something. I don't know. This should be at and a half. What's your adjusted line for? 13 and a half. Yeah. Somebody, so this scares the heck out of me. Um, if somebody knows something, but I'm taking Louisville. I'm taking Louisville. I'm laying the seven and a half. I'm not touching the, the, the over under on it. But this is like, there's something weird here as to why this line's so low. Uh, Jeff Brown is a good coach. He's got his old quarterback from his Purdue days. They've got a talented roster. they got really good defense, I think, um, that's going to be more consistent. Georgia Tech doesn't have any of them. So take Louisville a. And, and this, it, it's moved down. It's opened up as eight and a half, and it's moved I don't down know what's happening. to seven Something's and a half. Happening. Thor, uh, are, are, are you with Mike on this one, feeling a little queasy about it because the number looks so weird? I mean, you have to think about it. Right. Like anytime there's a line out there that you can't explain, if you just blindly go like we're going to go guns blazing on this, that's a mistake. But if you can sort of explain it to yourself, um, then, you know, I'm I'm fine with it. In in this case, maybe some pessimism about Brom starting, you know, like the, the first year and whatnot. But I really like the roster he has some, you know, we, we talk about rule and his philosophy. Brom, he starts quick. It's the other you know, it's it's sort of the other way. And in this instance, the Scott Satterfield Louisville roster was not a philosophical fit for Brom whatsoever. But a lot of that roster, he, the non-fits, he was able to get rid of or they graduated. And then he brought in all these guys that are awesome fits for a system. Plummer, of course, he knew from Purdue. He was the guy that sure. recruited him to Purdue. Then, you know, then Plummer got a shot to start at Cal. So he's he's been that back there in the pocket or, you know, in, in the cockpit uh, for, for many hours at this point. The thrash shining was awesome. He's going to be their wide receiver one from right, right away. He's going to play like the the Charlie Jones role or the Ron Dale role, the the bell roll he he gonna get all the the usage whatnot and i i like what they did along the lines and uh you know in the back end of their defense as well they they only returned 13 starters but it's it's the pretty good uh talent coming back and and talents conducive to his his system georgia tech i don't like that team at all they don't have much talent whatsoever that's a team that you would have liked to have seen hit the uh the portal harder 
and or sign different guys. Some of the guys they sign really confused, like signing Haynes King to be your starting quarterback. <laughs> it's like, was he the best guy that you could have signed? I'm not really sure about that. Georgia Tech, they hired a coach now, you know, the interim from last year, who some people were higher on. Apparently they were in the program. I think you went four and four down the stretch. But it, it, the average wins, it was like an average of like four points per game or three points per game or whatever. Like they, they won, uh, you know, the, some of these coin flips down the stretch. And then when after the season, Georgia Tech, they're negotiating with Willie Fritz. Willie Fritz leaves him on the altar because they were pushing to get a decision from him before the AAC title game. And Fritz refused. He backed out of the negotiations. Georgia Tech was just like, oh, we'll hire the, the painter to build the house. In the in, the interim coach, I don't think that's going to end well either. Um, I'm definitely taking Louisville in this one, unless I find something in my investigation that would more accurately explain um, in in reality why that line is six points undermined. All right, let's go over to Saturday, and we'll start with number 17 TCU as a 20 and a half point home favorite against Colorado. 63 is the total in this one. A uh, lot of tickets on Colorado here, but uh, slightly more of the cash going to TCU. Both tickets and cash are on the over in this game, Mike. How, how do you feel about uh, you know Coach Prime making his debut and TCU coming off the playoff but losing so much? How do you, how do you like this game here? Yeah, those are idiot tickets. Um, there's a lot of idiot ticketing going on when it comes to Colorado. I think they were, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, they were the third or fourth most bet team uh, with their re- ridiculous odds to win it all. Like, talk about win the national championship. You know, we're up there with Georgia, uh, USC, Alabama, uh, Ohio State, Michigan, Colorado. I don't know what. <laughs> Uh, Twenty thousand to one or something was, but people were actually, Cowboys fans from the nineties. And the Justinians, like people who just don't understand this roster is put together uh, through the portal. Um, there's no continuity. There's no chemistry. They don't know each other. Uh, they're a one and eleven football team with a brand new roster. They're almost an expansion team in that way. TCU is a good football program. They've got a lot of continuity, even though they lost their quarterback and Johnson and some others. There's a lot of talent, especially on defense here. They're going to cover this 20 and a half. I'm surprised that line hasn't gone up. Um, I hit this line a month and a half ago. You hit it hard. And it hasn't really moved off of that. I, I completely thought this would be a 24, 25 point line right now. But that's because people are betting Colorado and keeping it low. But this is TCU all the way. They're going to win. They could win this game. I, I don't want to be ridiculous. They could this win this game by 30, 35 you were about to say they could double this up, right? I mean, because that, that's how it you know, feels. I, I wanted to say 40, but... I, <laughs> yeah, that's a little after bit. My, that's after, a little bit much. You know, after crapping on UMass last week, <laughs> being overly confident that Vanderbilt was going to the fight, like picking on the really, really weak four teams hasn't worked out for me so far. Sure. Through, you know, week zero. So I, I don't want to do that and say it's going to be a 40-point victory. But we'll see if it, if it, you know, it should be a really big win for TCU. I don't know what Thor's adjusted line is, but it's got to be higher than 20 and a half with any. Yeah, Thor, any difference of opinion here on this game? It's actually lower, Mike. Uh, I, I got a TCU minus 16 and a half in this one. And wow. and I do I I'm one of the idiots. I, I actually do kind of like color <laughs> out here. Prime time. Prime time. Yeah. Now he didn't go to Kansas or Iowa, Minnesota. He never played. <laughs> what the yeah, hell? Even what, like the Midwest. What? What's the yeah. connection? 
I do like I do like Boulder. Boulder Boulder is a good time. <laughs> but uh, it, it's it's two things for me. Number one, TCU. You know, you talking about the losses, Mike. Max Dugan, Kendra Miller, Quentin Johnson, Tay Barber, Darius Davis, Steve Avila, Dylan Horton, D Winners, Trey Thompson, Tomlinson. I I need to take a breath in there. Only three returning starters on offense. They do have the seven back on defense, but again, you're you lost three studs off that defense. So we'll have to see how that goes. A lot of the bedrock of that team that made the title run, all the guys that were given offensive usage to certainly and their best offensive linemen are out the door. I know that the year before Dykes, he he did well in the portal. I mean, it was one of the reasons, you know, plugging the holes that they were able to do what they did. They went out and they signed some guys couple guys from three guys from Alabama, maybe if I'm remembering right that, you know, some, a couple of them hadn't played as much uh, so far that fit the bill of some of these guys. So, so they're trusting sort of their scouting on, on some of these different guys. But I, you know, I think TCU falls back a little bit. The offense is certainly going to be down from, from I last agree. season. Defense and is on, nasty though. It's nasty. Could be, could be on, on the Colorado side. I, I think the, the roster turnover thing, I think it's become a little overstated. Like initially when, you know, when you're putting this stuff into your system, you're thinking the thing of like unprecedented roster turnover and, and, you know, lack of continuity, different stuff like this, you toggle it down, but, but the, you know, in in the year, certainly last year, the, the biggest referendum we got on this, the teams that took the most transfers, they did really well. Right. Like, you know, LSU being being a prime example of this Florida State, um, you know, a lot of roster turnovers. There's, there's one other one I'm forgetting that was U- right. USC, up, USC, USC, USC. That's right. Thank yeah. you, Mike. But but uh, they had town. They had town. They, sure. Sure. But I, I think, you know, the, the Colorado talent level, I believe, is higher than they're getting credit for. I think Shadir Sanders is a stud personally. I think the receiving core. Uh, because Travis Hunter is going to play there. That's where he was practicing all off season. I actually think the receiving core is going to be pretty good. Yeah, the two South Florida uh, starting receivers from last year, they just took off that team and then add Travis Hunter to that. It's pretty good receiving core. Uh, is it a perfect team? No. Like like my uh, win projection, my my system's win total for, for each team, they fell, I think, right on three and a half, which is you know what their over-under was in Vegas, in part because they have a really hard schedule. But I think their talent level, the talent level on that roster is closer to TCU's at this point than they're giving credit for. So that's the reason why I just think it's it's a little bit too high. And to say, uh, they got it, three, four, sorry, four players in their entire two deep on both offense and defense. It's 44 players. Four players that have actually played a snap at Colorado. So it's going to be interesting. If they can put together an affordable all-star team, and stay within three touchdowns of uh, a team that went to the national championship last year. I will be surprised, uh, but we disagree on this one. Uh, I'll uh, I'll take the under. I'll just uh, avoid both of you and, and take the under on that game. Uh, but uh, hey, college football fans, are you ready to put your betting skills to the test? Join the Betting Pros College Football Podcast Betting Group. Make your picks all season long, and if you're among the top ROI performers, you could win. Big prizes include a signed Garrett Wilson Ohio State jersey and premium subscriptions to Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros. Just make at least 100 picks throughout the season to qualify. Jump in now at bettingpros.com slash college or in the Betting Pros app under the College Football Podcast group. May the best better win. Let's move down uh, to the next game on Saturday. Auburn is a 35 and a half point home favorite against UMass, 52 and a half. 
A lot of money. 95% of cash Farrell is on UMass. This is a massive overreaction to them winning a game last week. Uh, can they keep within 35 and a half points of Auburn here? Yeah, they can. So I have changed my tune. I don't think UMass is a good football team, but you know, listen, Don Brown is a very good defensive coach and that wasn't the issue. You know, I don't think their defense was the issue last year, even when they stunk. Uh, it certainly wasn't the issue in, in week zero. If they can put up any points, they're going to stay within 35 and a half because Auburn's not really a, an offensive juggernaut. I, I'm not a big Thorn guy. You freeze is a massive rebuilding job to do here. I think they're going to be run heavy. Um, and I think the clock is really going to play in here. And not at the over under, but in the actual you know, spread. So give me UMass. Give me Don Brown. I watched every second of that game. Remember, I said, I forgot, oh, it was on Sirius on All Ride Radio. I said, anybody who watches every minute of the New Mexico uh, UMass game or, or whatever I said has really mental health issues. A lot of people <laughs> watch every minute of that stupid game. Uh, lost it. I should never doubt Don Brown, Boston College, UConn, Northeast guy. I'm taking them to cover 35 of that. Uh, Thor, any uh, difference of opinion in this game? You taking Auburn? Right now, I'm staying away from it. Uh, my my system's total or uh, spread on this game, Auburn minus 36 and a half. So it's fairly close. It, but if nothing else, I'll be monitoring it because UMass, they were frisky in the first game against New Mexico State. They beat they beat a team that was a bowl team last year. Fraudulent bowl team, but bowl team nonetheless. Very, They went 41 to 30 over them. The, they ran the ball very well. That was impressive to me. And you know on defense, they were actually better on defense, I think, than people would believe uh, last season. Just be, uh, Mike's mentioning it. Uh, it's Don Brown, right? Like the the blitz packages and everything like that. It's a lot for college quarterbacks to it discombobulates them. Where is the pressure coming from? You know the heat's going to come. Different stuff like that. The, so the, their defense is is decent, and now they can run the ball. My concern with them is that they won't be able to pass all season. The the Taysom Fomacon kid. I'm happy for the kid. He, he went to like eight different colleges. He finally found one that he could start at. He does add that element to the running game against New Mexico State. 17 carries, 96 yards, one touchdown, 5.6 per. But the again, the passing thing, they don't have a ton of receiving talent either, but he's also a terrible thrower. So can, can a, a defense like Auburn shut out the lights on, on them? There's a shot for sure. Uh, Auburn returns a lot of experience. Eight starters on offense, nine starters on defense. So you really only have to shut down the UMass rushing attack and they're not going to score any points. You're going to make them one-handed. Um, so I, I I think probably I might lean on uh, shade this one under, but as far as the side, I think it's an objectively fair line. So I probably won't be playing either on that, on that one. All right, let's go to number 10, Washington, a 14 and a half point home favorite against Boise State. Uh, 60 is the total here. Uh, this one is very interesting because of the betting numbers. 52, 52% of tickets on Washington, 64% of cash on Boise State. The over-under is at 50-50 in tickets. 64% of cash is on the over. Most bets are on the over. Um, but, Mike, how do you feel about this Washington-Boise State game? Yeah, I like the over as well. I like the, I don't like the the side here. I mean, fourteen and a half is a it's a tough number. You know, Boise State is a always a good football program. They're always well coached. Um, you know, to beat them, big is difficult. Uh, Washington has a potent offense. Uh, Boise can score some points. So sixty seems extremely not extremely low to me, but it seems low. You know, if I were just doing it, I don't have Thor's mathematical projections or or anything like that. I just do it in my head. 
I would think 66. Just that would be the number that popped into my head. So when I see 60, I'm I'm taking the over on this, like 64% of the other. Uh, Thor, you have a good thought on Washington, Boise State? My number on that's Washington minus 17.8. My system's total was 64.5. So, you know, I I am showing some value on Washington, and I love this Washington team this year. Um, I hope they're able to play a little bit better on defense. They did do some stuff to address that, but they lost two of their best pass rushers. So you you have to sort of see how that one goes. Um, they struggled with the pass defense last year. And so it's going to be, uh, that's an understatement, but it's, it, it, you know, <laughs> well, that's what seven makes, guys hurt. I mean, seven guys hurt. Yeah. Left. I hope that doesn't happen again. So may, yeah, may, maybe there's a shot that they jump up this one. It, it will be interesting. You know, the, the storyline with Boise state all off season, Taylon green, who was sort of the revelation last year. He's this tall, lanky dual threat kid. Who's just a fabulous runner, extremely inconsistent as a passer so far, um, but he, he's got the frame for it. He's got a little bit of arm strength. It's just the mechanics go all over the place and the balls go all over the place. Uh, but this offseason, they had the new offensive coordinator come in, Bush Hamden. They talked about working on his mechanics all offseason. If, if that kid is able to throw, Boise State becomes really dangerous because they have two stud uh, running backs. They have one of the best running back rooms in the G5. And then you add green to that. You know they're going to be awesome running the ball. If Green can throw accurately or at least get the defenses to respect that, the, the pass, the opponents are going to be a little bit in trouble with that, and their offense will give Washington problems. Uh, the issue for them in this game, Washington's offense, nobody's going to stop Washington's offense. Even the better defenses they play, um, Boise State is going to be out man there. The receiving talent the Huskies have is just ludicrous. Coming back with the Dunze and, and McMillan, and they brought in Polk to be the third guy. They're just loaded there, and obviously Penix, if he stays healthy, is a, just by definition a Heisman contender. So I, I think I would I would lean towards Washington in that one, but uh, probably the over as well. I would be looking at just because all those factors. All right, let's go to South Carolina hosting number twenty one, North Carolina. Two and a half. Uh, North Carolina is a road favorite here. Sixty four and a half is the number. Uh, tickets. Slightly favor SC. Uh, money favors UNC pretty heavily here. Uh, Mike, what do you think about South Carolina versus North Carolina here? This is another one I'm going to take the over. Um, it's a tough game because, you know, South Carolina's coming off a lot of momentum last season. You know, Spencer Rattler, I, I still don't have a little bit more confidence. Um, you know, he's got more weapons. Uh, offensively, they should be pretty good. Um but North Carolina has Drake May, and and they should be excellent on offense too. So I see a bit of a, a shootout here. North Carolina's defense is bad enough to make me think that they're going to give up a minimum of 40 points to South Carolina, uh, meaning 35 to 40. So that's assuming North Carolina is going to score their own you know, 27, 28. I'm taking it over. Thor, what are your thoughts on North versus South Carolina here? Uh, my, uh, my line on that one is, uh, close to a pick. I'm, I got, uh, Tar Heels minus 0.8 points. So pretty close there. Uh, my system would shade it over. Um, we're in the, um, let's see, 74 points. So I, I'm actually a, a decent bit over that. One thing though, you wonder with on both accounts is 
North Carolina losing Tez Walker so close to the season, the guy who they brought in from Kent State, projected wide receiver one. The NCAA is being ridiculously punitive with this and not letting this kid play. I won't get into that, but they have not. Uh, North Carolina has appealed it, appealed it. it they, the NCAA has not overturned that decision yet. And because of the receive, receiving talent that UNC lost over the offseason, primarily Josh Downs, you're just wondering about how they can cobble that thing together again for Drake May. They have this prodigy in the pocket. You know, Drake May is going to be awesome, but it's just like, you know, like last year, Alabama with Bryce Young, and he's yeah. playing with this stinky receiving core, couldn't get any separation, balls clanging off their hands, different stuff like that. We hope that's not the fate for May this year. And then on the other side of the ball, they bring back a lot of guys on defense um, or, or were able to bring in starters, et cetera. I think eight guys that were starters last year, but they, they were not good last year. And there's, you know, some continuity stuff. So we'll see what Chizik has up his sleeve there. But South Carolina doesn't return much on, on defense either. I'm probably more bullish on the South Carolina offense than the market. I, I like Spencer Rattler. And he started playing well at the end of last season. The beginning of it, you know, he's sort of acclimating himself, whatnot. Did not play very well at the beginning of it. But you started to see sort of vintage Spencer Rattler at the end of the season. You've gotten reports that he has had an awesome uh, training camp. I, I think maybe we see a, another step up from Spencer Rattler. If so, they'll be dangerous on offense. But for me, this game overall is a coin flip. Let's go to number seven, Penn State hosting West Virginia. Penn State is a 20 and a half point favorite at home. 50 and a half is the line here. Uh, a lot of tickets on Penn State, a lot of cash on WVU, a cash and tickets both on the under in this game, Mike. How do you see Penn State versus WVU uh, playing out here? Uh, I, I'm just, I know West Virginia is not a very good football team. You know, when I see 20 and a half, I, I have to take them. I mean, if you give me three touchdowns, you know, Penn State's got a new quarterback. They're going to have some adjustments there. You know, they've got a great running attack. They should be, you know, able to put up points on West Virginia, but just not, you know, I don't think they're going to put up 45 or 50. Um, defensively, they're very, very good. But West Virginia is a scrapping team. I know Neil Brown's on his way out. I know a lot to play for. But at the beginning of the season, you know, being a three-touchdown underdog against Penn State, I think they're going to have some fight in them. Uh, we saw that in a you know pseudo-rivalry game against Pitt. Um, yeah. Pseudo-rivalry game against Penn State, even though it's not true rivalry. It's still geographically important to these kids. So I think they're going to play hard. And I, I think Penn State is going to win the football game for sure, but not by – Three touchdowns. So give me West Virginia getting 20 and a half. Thor, you got a strong feeling about this one? My line's Penn State minus 22. Um, it is a tough one to bet, though. Um, I, I don't lay more than 20 points too often as a sports better, so I, I got to feel pretty good to do it. This one, I don't know if I'll be able to get there. Um, I love Penn State. Uh, I, like, I, I think Penn State is – they may surpass Ohio State this year. I, I love Michigan. Michigan's my title pick, so I, I'm not going to say them above them, but Penn State is getting really dangerous again. You have the quarterback now who has the NFL arm in Alar. Uh, people have been raving about him. You have the awesome backfield duo. They, they lost the receiver, but they fortified it again through the portal. Franklin's done a really good job of that. Fashanu, who is going to be a top five pick, leads what's a really good offensive line. And then they're nasty on defense. Manny Diaz picked that thing way up uh, last year. They may go up again. They, they did lose Joey Porter, but they still have one of the best secondaries in the nation. And their pass rush is ridiculous. They have all these sleek athletes there on the edge, and Diaz loves to send the heat. So they're going to be a problem for people. What will be interesting to watch in this game for spectators, the, the people that sit on the side, is to see how good Penn State's run defense is 
I know they're going to be really good against the pass. They, the ridiculous pass rush, the really good secondary, they will be a problem for opposing pass offenses all season. But you're wondering how they'll they'll do against the the run, the better running teams. West Virginia, I don't know if they'll be able to throw. Uh, I did not like what I saw of the Garrett Green kid in the limited time that that I seen him uh, last year. I was surprised they didn't go out in the portal and try to get a starter to replace JT Daniels. They're just going to go with this Garrett Green kid, whatever. I don't love their receiving talent either. But C.J. Donaldson is really, really good. A home run hitting uh, type back that also gives you efficiency. And West Virginia has one of the better top 20 offensive line, I think is supremely fair. And it might even be higher than that in the nation. So, you know, they'll be able to run the ball, but it's just everything else. I I, right. I don't trust them to pass and their defense. They, they do bring back seven guys, but they lost most of the important ones, especially the defensive line was like the one good part of it last year. They lose all those guys to graduation. So it's a totally rebuilt uh, defensive line. And then in the secondary, that was the thing that stunk last year. That's where they're returning all their players. Uh, maybe those are the guys that I wouldn't have wanted back. I would have tried to get different guys to replace them in the portal, but that's the constitution there. So Penn State will, pre- will be able to put up numbers. It's just can Penn State shut down that really good West Virginia rushing attack. All right, let's go to some Pac-12 after dark while we still can here. Uh, UCLA hosting Coastal Carolina. UCLA is a 14.5-point home favorite. 65.5 is the total on this one. Uh, tickets going towards UCLA. Most of the cash towards Coastal Carolina here, an extreme amount of cash towards Coastal Carolina. Uh, tickets and cash both on the over here, Mike. How, how do you see this game between UCLA and Coastal playing out? Yeah, I, I think the the money on Coastal Carolina is a safe bet. I mean, if you're giving more than two touchdowns to a UCLA team that's replacing a, um, what, 17-year starter in DTR, <laughs> uh, you know, Dante Moore is a freshman and there's not a lot of experience. You're replacing Zach Charbonneau. Um, you hit the portal pretty good, you know, running back and wide receiver. So there is some talent there. But, you know, for this team to sort of gel against a very, not a very difficult, but a difficult enough opponent, which I think you keep them within 10, 10 to 12 points. So give me uh, Coastal Carolina to cover this 14 and a half. If that was 13 and a half, it'd be a different story for me. But uh, I'm going to take the two touchdowns on the hook and cash uh, my ticket on Coastal. Yeah, long way to travel for Coastal here, uh, Thor. But, I mean, like Mike said, UCLA replacing a lot specifically at key positions on offense. How do you see this one going? Yeah, I, this is a tough one for me. Um, I'm surprised with the, with where the market is, has taken this one or where this line is right now. My, my line's uh, UCLA minus 20 and a half. I guess um, the thing that surprised me about the market is, like, you listen, you know, the Sharps and, and different stuff like that and some of the, the stuff with the win total over the summer – felt like the market was pretty pessimistic about coastal Carolina. Um, but now in this game, they're maybe not as much, I, I guess. Um, I, I see the value on UCLA. I, I get the thing about, um, you know, like losing Dorian Thompson Robinson and, and losing Charbonnet, but they bring back a lot of guys and their defense. It, this will be the best defense of the chip Kelly era, um, both in terms of talent, returning experience. They'll just qualitatively be there. They brought in nine returning starters on defense. And then on offense, they returned seven. They, and they also went on the portal. They got a bunch of guys. Schley, he ain't going to start. Carson Steele might. He'll at least uh, platoon with, with Harden. J. Michael Sturdivant, the receiver they got from Cal, is an absolute stud. They also added uh, uh, re- another receiver from USC, an, an Oregon tight end. So I, I like that team. 
my, you know, and, and Garber is going to be the quarterback initially uh, with the good receivers and the good running backs there. They have a pretty solid offensive line too. He'll just be the game manager or whatever. And I think that's going to be enough, um, you know, as long as not because he ain't going to turn the ball over or whatever with coastal Carolina, my concern continues to be Tim Beck. If Jamie Chadwell was coaching this team in, on Saturday, uh, I would have a different opinion. Yeah, I'd be taking those 20 and a half points probably. But with Tim Beck taking over, you have a you have a system change and it's going away from what we've seen made Grayson McCall so dangerous and also that rushing attack. They were so difficult to deal with the, the run game and that spread option. They have the blocking schemes coming from all different directions. The uh, you know the defend the defenders they don't know which way the ball's going. There's the pre snap motion. They don't know which angle the blockers are going to come at them or which dude is going to block them, whatever. And so they would just discombobulate people with these different concepts. And then they would get the one on one play action shots over the top, whatnot. And and that's how they built their explosive plays. But with Tim Beck coming in, I've never liked his offenses. He's the opposite of creative. So th- that's my pessimism with them. But um, I, so I, I would probably lean UCLA in this one. All right, let's go over to Sunday because we got Sunday games. No NFL. Uh, a couple games on Sunday. I believe there are three, but we're going to skip that first one. Let's go to San Jose State versus number 18, Oregon State. Uh, 16 and a half. Oregon State is a road favorite. 54 and a half is the total here. Uh, tickets and cash both on Oregon State. Tickets and cash both on the over here as well, Mike. How do you feel about San Jose State hosting Oregon State? Yeah, so we've seen San Jose State. It's one of the few games where we have a. Sample size, a small sample size. Um, you know, if they're one and zero against spread, um, they hung in there. USC's defense is not Oregon State's defense. USC's defense is horrible as usual. They can't stop the run. Oregon State can. Um, I think you know this is going to be a rough one um, for San Jose State. I, I think Oregon State is a really solid football team. I think they're going to be able to stop most of the things San Jose State wants to do. Um, you know. And and I'm I'm laying sixteen and a half. I know it's a lot because we don't know what we're going to get from DJU. You know he's a talented kid. There's no doubt about it. You know the Clemson system wasn't great for him, but also he lost all his confidence at Clemson. He didn't have the belief in his teammate. And you know I know some guys at Oregon State. They believe in him. They think he's a reborn and he's really confident. Um, that was their big problem last year on offense was quarterback play. So I think that's going to be markedly improved, even though I don't expect him to be like the top five pick I had at the, you know, at high school when he was ranked just behind Bryce Young. I think he's going to be a very important addition to them. They can run the football. They're physical. I, I think they're going to beat up on San Jose State um, and, and cover that 16 and a half. Thor, your thoughts on uh, San Jose State versus Oregon State? I agree with Mike on this one. I, I think the side would be Oregon State. My line on that one, Oregon State minus 21.1. Uh, San Jose State, I, they have an interesting offense, or they have an offense that we the, we know is going to work against some of the MWC opponents they face because it's really efficient, you know, and they just put the ball into space and then they make you tackle them, whatnot. But it's not explosive at all, and you know, and you, you basically know what's coming. You know, I mean, it's just a short passing game, whatnot. I don't know if they're going to have a ton of success against Oregon State here. The the one thing they got going for them is Oregon State. The one thing they did lose over the offseason, they lost a couple cornerbacks. So we're, we're going to have to see the new guys and, and at least see that they tackle in space, but they ain't going to have to run with people down the field. It's not what San Jose State does. 
and I love Oregon State's offense, right? Like, you know, it's just going to be pound the ball, pound the ball with Martinez, that really awesome offensive line. And I'm I'm the furthest thing in the world from like a DJ Uagalele fan or <laughs> certainly apologist. But objectively, he is an enormous upgrade from the quarterbacks they had last year. Yeah, The quarterbacks they had last year, they couldn't run around and they weren't good throwers, right? Like the, the cumulative uh, TDINT rate for the two of them was right around uh, even, even Steven, mm. at least with DJU, he's going to give you way more rushing utility. And he also scares defenses deep. That's the one thing we know he can do. He can heave the ball deep, whatnot. Even if the accuracy doesn't come back, he's still an enormous upgrade on them. So uh, for me, it would be Oregon State in this one. I, I think their defense isn't going to have any problems with that San Jose State sort of straightforward attack. And I, I think they're just going to grind uh, on San Jose State. That San Jose State defense returned only four starters. It, we saw that was not good against USC, but this is going to be sort of the opposite. You got the finesse last time. Now you're going to get the the power, and they're going to do just as poorly against that. All right, game of the week here on Sunday evening. Number eight, Florida State versus number five, LSU. LSU is a two-and-a-half-point road favorite, 56-and-a-half. This is actually a neutral site game in Orlando, uh, but 56-and-a-half is the total here. Uh, tickets at cash on LSU, tickets on the under cash on the over here, Mike. So Florida State versus LSU, how are you feeling about this one? Yeah, what a great game. I mean, this is really what you want in week one. You want something like this. It's really going to... It won't determine the playoffs either team, but it's it's going to go a long way towards how their season going to go. You know, because Florida State has the Clemson game and, and, a, and a pretty weak ACC schedule, and LSU has the the SEC West. And you know, a lot of people think that they're going to come out of there uh, as they did last year. I'm leaning Florida State here. Um, LSU, Mason Smith being missing. I know he missed all the last season with the injury. You know. Having this be the game he's missing, you know, because NCAA is very short-sighted, you know, in the NIL world, he's getting dinged for the signing autographs. I mean, freshman. Um, that's going to be a big loss for them. And I really can't find a fault anywhere on this at Florida State offense. Um, the biggest question is how's that defensive line of Florida State going to hold up? But one of the weaknesses of LSU, at least heading into the season, is their rushing attack. They rely too much on Jaden Daniels. So uh, when it comes to, you know, Florida State's offense, those big receivers, the way they were able to run the ball, the experienced quarterback, who's, I think, a better passer than Jaden Daniels, I'm going to go with Florida State to win this game outright. I would take the money line on this, even though it's only, you know, you could take the two and a half if you want, but I would take the money line and Florida State's going to win this. Thor, how, how do you feel about this game, biggest game of the week? I have LSU minus 2.7, but that's not factoring in the Mason Smith injury. With that, I would certainly go, you know, I mean, you know, you could just bring it down to like two or whatever, but like we're right around the line either way. Sure. Right. So that that one's tough for me, but I do think, yeah, you, you'd you like to have Mason Smith back in this game when you're you're going up against uh, Trey Benson and, and then Travis scrambling around different stuff like that. Um, that one hurts, but yeah, I mean, qualitatively, these teams are really close uh, the Seminoles returned 17 starters, nine of them on defense. LSU returns 15 um, I, uh, for this game, 14. Well, I, I suppose Mason Smith didn't play last year. But, yeah, for me, this one's close. It's probably going to end up being um, a watch game or I'll bet the the total because I just don't think there's any value on that side. I've been shading some of these totals lower. Um, this actually might be one where I would consider going over. 
just because of what, what those offenses have, um, the firepower they got there. Um, my total, and also what my system saying, 63.5. So I, I'd probably shade this one a little over. But, yeah, uh, as far as the side, it's, that's really, we're really close to the margins right there. All right, we go to the last game of the week on Monday. We have Duke versus number nine, Clemson. Twelve and a half uh, is Clemson's line here in their favor. Fifty-five and a half is the total um, money going on Clemson uh, and tickets going on Clemson against the spread on the total. Uh, tickets are on the under just slightly, but most of the cash is on the over here. Uh, how do you feel about this game, Mike Clemson versus Duke? The money's on Clemson because nobody knows anything about Duke, but this is a really good football team. Um, this is a well-coached Elko. Great job in his first season. They've got talent. You just never heard of it. Um, they've got a good offensive line. They've got obviously a quarterback that people should know about and they don't. Um, I think this is just, you know, Clemson being Clemson, uh, beating up on the week of the ACC and getting that, that 12 and a half point line. I, I like Kane Klubnik. I like him out of high school. I think he can be good. He's not going to be uh, Deshaun Watson. He's not going to be Trevor Lawrence. Um, you know, maybe he's Paj Boyd. And if he's Taj Boyd, they could still do some great things. Um, but, you know, he's still getting his feet underneath them. Um, roster talent isn't comparable. I mean, Clemson has roster talent, but they do have that quarterback and really a question mark there. So, maybe Duke, I think they're a good value play here getting 12 and a half. I think they're going to lose, but I, I don't think they're going to get blown out. Uh, Thor, your thoughts on Duke versus Clemson? Are you on the Duke side as well, or are you uh, leaning on the Tigers? System's got Clemson minus 11.7. I'm probably going to end up staying away from the side. The the one that I like more here, I, I like the over in this game too. Um, this one probably even more than the one that we just talked about. The LSU Florida State, I might be, might be just uh, forcing that one a little bit for action. <laughs> this one, though, I, I actually legitimately like the over. The Clemson offense, you know, last year, they, they did tick up to 30th after the year before they were in the 100s. But now you bring in Gary Riley, who runs this extremely fast-paced offense, was able to take Max Dugan to the national title last year. Max Dugan, qualitatively, he's basically DJU. DJU's the guy they just kicked out because he wasn't good enough. And now they're starting Kay Klubnik, who is going to be an enormous upgrade. Their passing offense is going to be unlocked again. You're going to get the efficiency back with that. We already know that they they run really well uh, with, you know, led by Will Shipley, whatnot. And, you know, we, we've seen how many uh, offensive uh, yards that TCU last year put, um, you know, up on the ground, whatnot. So between that stuff, and then I like Duke's offense. Farrell was hitting on it, right? Like the NFL really likes that Riley Leonard kid. Um, they have a couple good receivers. They have a solid offensive line, so they can move the ball as well. I think this is going to be more of an up-tempo one. And and that's something, you know, people can look at out there, you know, that, that you try to hone in on on in the early games is these teams that have changed offensive coordinators is, is there going to be an uptick in the offense, but also is there going to be an uptick in the tempo that the market is not totally Ace. accounting for? I, I think that's what we see here. So I'm going over. All right. Well, that is going to wrap us up for week one. Remember you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman sports for myself at M Farrell sports for Mike to ours to L's and at Thor KU for Thor. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.